Cineboys to Cinemen, episode 29. Hope you're well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. This week, The Equalizer 3, The Career of Denzel Washington, and The Cinematic Representation of Vigilantism. Here to unpick all of these things, to crack the nut and reveal the thick protein within, <laughs> is the Grandmaster himself, the original Sinner Daddy, Lee Markham. Oh, thank you, thank you for inviting me on once again. Um, you do seem to have a knack of um, having uh, vin- vigilante films as my motif, as if I'm somebody who's always hungry for kind of revenge and justice. I think it's because when of those pictures you showed me of you as a youngster with a Batman hat. Oh, of course. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. is true. Coventry's Batman, I always, you know. That is true. I, you know, I always channeled myself as a kind of, you know, like Bruce Wayne slash Charles Bronson when I was younger and... Um, that's why I got battered. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I'm happy to be back. Um, you know, like the equaliser, you guys put out the call and I'm here to deliver. And boy, and boy will you. Yes. Boy will you. you. You certainly will. Certainly will. No, it's great to have you back, mate. Uh, it's been a long time since our Canon Films episode, which is still one of my favourites. Mm. Sometimes I catch myself listening to it, which is a bit weird, isn't it, to say? No. You no. catch yourself doing it. Catch you yourself, don't realise yeah. Yeah, initially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just on. Like, In a fever dream. I just, yeah, yeah. 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 Com- com- yeah. yeah well, it's know. convenient because actually it's probably my favourite episode and the only one that I recognise. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, What's your oh, second favourite? No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Questing the cinematic Okay then, so let's kick this discussion off with mm. a little chat about vigilantism. And I guess the reason why I wanted to bring this up in this episode in relation to Equalizer 3 is that so the third film in this franchise, for me, is the most canon-esque mm, okay. Um, okay. in its sort of uh, representation of the vigilante or the fantasy of the vigilante. And I know that we covered that ground pretty extensively in the last episode you're on Lee so I'm hesitant to talk about it in the context of sort of right wing ideology okay. of course, which of course yeah. was pervasive during the 1980s and 70s well 70s and 80s yeah yeah um, although it's arguably still around now <laughs> oh dear <laughs> no but um, I want to talk about the sort of fantasy element which I think is one of the most appealing parts of these kinds of films for many people yeah in the sense that it, it, it frames the idea of, of vigilantism as empowerment okay. okay so it's like the world you know you have to go out and find justice yourself the only way you're going to do that is through violence mm, yeah right? and the way they sort of offset any concerns about that usually is how in the way in which they frame uh the law you know right yeah, as yeah. this sort of like flaccid corruptible system besieged by bureaucracy so it's ineffective and you know can't get the job done or certainly in a way that is satisfying enough for the protagonist of many of these films <laughs> and I just wondered what your take was on that and, and what is it do you think about that that is so appealing to audiences if at all I think what resonates with vigilante films for me is the idea of kind of getting your just desserts is somewhat of a universal idea whether that's obviously like the good guy getting revenge or like a bad guy getting his just desserts or getting some sort of kind of karmic justice. Mm. Um, I think everybody can relate to that, and it doesn't really matter kind of where you come from, or whether like because everybody in, in some way will probably see themselves as either slighted or 
kind of like tread on or kind of disrespected mm. and you know if you're kind of more upper middle class however it's something as kind of pedantic as like your barista at your coffee shop not having your soy milk talking or, from experience yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, still raging about that um, <laughs> still going with a gun and uh, now we have the soy milk so uh, yeah, yeah. You know, who's, uh, who's got the who's got the justice now um, or yeah, like if you're like working class, like like I think everybody has been probably kind of maybe screwed over by someone or something in their lives, and what you get from a film is you know you can get that kind of fantasy and you, like you get that you get that enjoyment out of seeing you know somebody getting what you might think they deserve, obviously. Some people will see that very differently, coming from a perspective as to who deserves it or not. But I think that idea of revenge in general, in film, that is. I don't think we all go around going like, right, I'm gonna, you know, yeah. I'm gonna become like, you know, the equalizer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I think we can all get some sort of enjoyment out of it as entertainment. Yeah. No, I, I I agree. I think there's definitely that fantasy element that you were talking about earlier, Lee, about that, um, you know, the idea, yeah, of, of sort of imagining, I guess the sort of general audience would imagine the, having a really amazing answer to an argument, but 10 minutes too late. And it, yeah. part of that catharsis totally. is to is to like, you know, is to watch these films and watch someone dispense that kind of those thoughts in real time, I yeah. guess. Uh, I do also think, you know, yeah, it's an extreme example, as you yeah. say, but there, there's a kind of lack of nuance in all of this or, or in a vigilante film. I think generally it's the bad guy is pretty, you know, universally bad. Like, I'm not saying that they're not complex characters. Like, I'm thinking particularly with Batman films. You've got the Joker, which is a you know a very complex character, and you've got like a lot of the villains that in Batman films are very complex, but they're complex in a very overtly villainous way right yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's it's never like you're never on their side weirdly you know like like you get with other other films that have more shades of gray with their morals i suppose so like in that in that spirit because there's no nuance to the villains it's easier for you to watch them die and watch them get picked off i suppose and yeah. it's like uh yeah, it's just an extreme form of that catharsis that we all have uh, and are all guilty of, I suppose. Yeah, I think the deprival of nuance is central to the catharsis, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. it speaks again to what I'd like to sort of pick up when you were saying, Lee, about the idea of fantasy. I think for most of us, I mean, I don't want this to sound a bit depressing, but for most of us, life can be quite disempowering. You know, we largely have to do things we don't like doing <laughs> in yeah. life to sort yeah. of enjoy ourselves. Mm. Yeah, that's sort of like a that's like a a recurring theme throughout most of our lives and something you sort of have to learn yeah. as you get older. Mm. Um, and I think in the sense of these movies, like The Equalizer, it's almost like, you know, the catharsis comes in almost getting revenge on the idea of, yeah. you know, being disempowered as a whole. Yeah. And maybe that's a bit too lofty for a film like this, but I don't know. I feel like the, there's something there, I think. It's that, tapping into it, for sure. It's tapping into that, whether consciously or not. It might just be Anton Fuqua saying, right, these are the baddies in this one. Uh, Italian mafia, why not? You know, that kind of <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, it is drawing off that, I'm 
absolutely do think that it, there's some intention there. Whether the intention came from a film that inspired Fuqua as opposed to from him himself, like that's a different matter. But yeah, I definitely think that there is something in that. I think ultimately for these sort of films, it's almost like a means to an end. So they'll kind of like based on their location, they'd probably kind of pick things up that they might have read from like headlines or kind of articles. And, you know, if you're doing an action film, you're not going to have him kind of taking on the nice members of the community, not the you know, old lady who gives stuff to food banks. It'd probably be quite a horrible movie if she got gunned down by Denzel. <laughs> yeah. Um, but more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, you know... A left turn. Yeah. Career-wise. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you, I think for these sort of kind of vehicles, that's just kind of what you need and then it like kind of automatically tends to kind of go into kind of stereotypes and I think that's why you know like a lot of vigilante films are usually quite similar plot wise aren't they yeah yeah Mm. I'm going to pose before we move on then to talk about the mighty D-man himself Um, I'm going to pose a couple of questions to you do you think the appeal of these vigilante films speaks to a wider sort of Sort of social fantasy regarding law enforcement and justice. Do you think more people perhaps have like stronger views on the treatment of the uh, morally bankrupt and perverse than we would acknowledge? I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm sort of that's like sort of playing devil's advocate here, which is a statement I kind of hate in these situations. But I just wonder about that because these films typically tend to center themselves around the ineffective nature of law enforcement. Yeah, that tends to be the backdrop. You know, for a lot of these films, if you, I mean, I don't want to sort of mention it too too much, but if you think about Death Wish, the police are inept, right? Yeah. Uh, even I think it's Death Wish three with the the ridiculously young lover, <coughs> you know, who's sort of complaining about how ineffective the the law the system is, you know, yeah, of, yeah. of policing and and and, in, and uh, of enforcement and you know lawmaking. I don't know. Does it speak to some kind of bizarre fantasy for some, or am I being a bit too harsh? Um, I think, interestingly, I think it's it's slightly changed nowadays because I feel like definitely with like Death Wish, it's more about police ineptitude. But if you look at like, the Equaliser franchise, and if you were to look at more kind of contemporary vigilante or just action films in general, like it Taken tends, or something, yeah, mm, yeah. It, it tends to be more from a kind of corruption side now, and obviously that, and I think that's probably from like the nineties, because obviously now with kind of video and kind of you know the twenty-four hour news cycle, you see you know there's so many news stories and it's out in the open that. There has been a lot of issues with either police corruption or bl- police brutality, mm-hmm. and like nowadays, obviously you will still have like the good cop or like you know like stuff like that. They they will never they never really go all out going like all police are bad. But you nowadays you always have like a few of a, a few bad eggs, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's um, a lot more kind of a message now it's almost like it's having a little bit of a dig but not being like uh, we hate the police like it's you know they've got to tread the line haven't they yeah 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 i think that's where it's at now hmm. um obviously it depends on the filmmaker's kind of political kind of beliefs but um 
I think obviously nowadays like a lot of uh, kind of more successful filmmakers tend to kind of lean or kind of portray left-leaning sensibilities in their films but mm. without going overboard because they know they've got a market to appease yeah 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 thoughts yeah i think it depends on it does depend on the plot line of the actual film involved so like you got your death wish wishes your death wishes <laughs> uh you got your like the equalizer uh, and even the dark knight trilogy to an extent where the police play a role in the plot and it is their either their ineptitude or their kind of their own morals and their code of conduct which prevents them from helping in the way that a vigilante could Mm -hmm. so there is that aspect but you have other vigilante films for example like i'm thinking like falling down or like uh yeah okay or like home alone 2 (laughs) yeah yeah one of my favorite vigilante movies uh kevin McAllister is uh, not acting in self-defense in that film at all it's really bizarre yeah yeah yeah. yeah. (laughs) yeah, you're right yeah but the inclusion of the police has to either be I guess the right word would be convenient or the lack of the inclu- of inclusion of the police in that plot line would be because it would it, it would be like it's just not relevant to the plot like yeah. the the plot doesn't concern law enforcement therefore they don't intervene obviously in real life they completely would but in the in the kind of world that this film has has constructed it's better for the plot and the narrative for there just to be no coppers around, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. their, you know, their inclusion would just ruin, like, skew it the sort of themes of the film sideways so massively, and inject a kind of unnecessary amount of realism into it. Like, do you see what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I think it sort of yeah. ties in. It's sort of, and a narrative level, it's the same sort of thing. I guess it's sort of similar to criticising a character in a horror film for going down a dark into yeah. a dark stairway exactly you don't yeah, do it there's yeah, no yeah. movie right yeah yeah. <laughs> so maybe there's yeah maybe there's not as much to it as I think but I just thought I'd pose the question no no it's good another yeah. question um, do you think the fantasy of the vigilante is more for men than women because if you look at these kind of character archetypes yeah it tends to be men it, oh, often absolutely. protecting women yeah or saving women uh I know it's a pretty big question, but I just no. wondered what you thought about that because it sort of came to me not that long before you guys arrived and um, we had dinner. Yes. Um, Lovely, by the way. You know, this idea that most of these films seem to be very male-centred and I wonder if that sort of has something to do with the sort of male perspective. I would definitely say so. Again, it also obviously depends on the the actor in the kind of role, of course, as well. Yeah. Um, but... I think mainly, yeah, because they tend to be written by guys, and let's be honest, I can't imagine most kind of screenwriters are exactly the toughest, most confrontational <laughs> alpha males. <laughs> so I imagine there is a little bit of a kind of like, oh, I can, you know, they're they're seeing themselves technically in the leading role. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. They're like, oh, I get to save the day and get save the girl and. <laughs> I'm a hero like you know there's probably an aspect of that but <laughs> ultimately that's all I think most most screenwriting isn't it so um, yeah I definitely think there's an element of that yeah completely I think it's part of that male fantasy of you know we can do it on our own boys you know like yeah. we don't need we don't need the intervention of a, a third party uh, to, to function well, we mm. can all it's all like you know it's all about the individual and not about the collective and that's 
arguably that's a political idea as well, but mainly, yeah, it's a very male thing, I think. Yeah. Uh, there's an exception to the rule. Have you seen The Brave One? It's not very good, but have you seen it? No, <laughs> I don't think I have. A Neil Jordan film with Jodie Foster. And right. She's like a, she plays a vigilante born out of a sort of frustrated journalist really, who who um, starts to notice, like, the crime stats going up in her, like, local borough, I can't even remember, it is San Francisco or something, mm. and uh, it's not great, but it, it takes a stab at that idea of a female vigilante. Um, it's a shame that it wasn't very well remembered or regarded, because it's an interesting idea to, yeah. to use, but, like, I mean, maybe that speaks to the idea that it's a kind of the idea of the male vigilante might be more successful and resonate more with audiences. I don't know. Yeah, I think there are definitely sort of pepperings of, of films that sort of handle similar themes, but from a sort of more feminine perspective. Yeah, like yeah Abel yeah. Ferrara's Miss Forty Five or something like that. Right. Yeah. You know, but yeah. those kind of films tend to centre on like an act against them. So it's obviously in the yeah. case of Miss Forty Five, it's a sexual oh, act. Oh, do you know what I think? A brave one might have done something similar. Yeah, actually, it was the it was actually the death of her, the killing of her like boyfriend or partner. So that again, yeah, makes yeah, yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. You also had the one with Carrie Mulligan a couple of years ago. Is it Promising Young Woman? Oh yeah, which was um, yeah very much of a similar ilk. I believe she was like sexually assaulted, and then she kind of yeah starts going out and getting revenge on people who might do that yeah and i think that was quite kind of well received as a kind of almost a female alternative to usually male orientated kind of revenge thrillers yeah written directed by a, a woman as well so i think the thing is yeah it's much rarer than it is from the male perspective yeah there's definitely space to recalibrate these themes i think that are probably not necessarily inherently masculine by any stretch, but I think they've been moulded to suit men. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that speaks to a lot of the, sort of the male experience, because again, I think it goes back to that sort of disempowering thing, like the idea of the physical prowess of men, you know, always sort of defending yourself, the people you care about, that sort of thing, We're quite a dated thing, but it's something I think a lot of men still pride themselves on. Mm. and a lot of men don't get the opportunity to do so yeah yeah so i wonder about that but yeah no i do think and it's interesting as well that you were saying that you know there's not many of these films and the slow starting to come out and it's probably because of that sort of it's almost like they're drowning in the the, <laughs> the need to placate this sort of male fantasy a little bit and yeah i don't know interesting no i i agree i i agree i think i think it is definitely until very recently been consistently a sort of male oh, fantasy yeah completely but it's yeah. been recalibrated to make a comment about something a little bit more important than mm. just sort of making like a bloke sat up at 4am fist pump the air you know what I mean <laughs> right uh, Denzel Denzel Washington time to get sweaty about him I mean not that we can get any sweatier it's fucking boiling it's really hot this evening actually yeah I'm wearing jeans like some prick <laughs> as well you're cooking a, yeah I yeah. can hear your testicles screaming oh here. mate I'd, yeah they're they're so far down. <laughs> right. They're next to my toes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, Denzel, sorry. Denzel, yeah. <laughs> Go on, Lee. Take the lead. Oh, well, where do you start? Where do you start? What a man. What, what a, man. a man. Yeah. Um, I just... For me, he is up there with the best. Like, people... It's usually the cliche that everyone says, like, they put De Niro and Al Pacino on a pedestal of, like, especially in terms of American actors, like, the the best, like, the cream of the crop. And 
for me, I feel Denzel is is up there with him because you might say that maybe Denzel doesn't necessarily have the commercially popular all-time classics like those two have, but you could also argue like he's made films like Malcolm X and like Training Day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would I would also say that he hasn't really done any bad movies either not really like there's there's none especially like i say if you compare him to like you know de niro and pacino he has he hasn't done a little fuckers or a dirty grandpa or a jack and jill like he can turn a average script into a very good film and a great script into something truly memorable um, yeah yeah like i think he has a command of the screen which is pretty much a matched like even for example, uh, like recently I was watching Crimson Tides. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Tony Scott film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him and uh, Gene Hackman. Oh yeah. And it's almost in a way a little bit of a kind of subconscious passing of the torch, if you will, because like Denzel, like Gene Hackman is up there with one of the all-time great actors as well. And I don't think there's anyone who's ever outacted him on the screen or kind of outpresenced him, but. I almost feel like Denzel does, and he almost kind of like it's also part of the plot, but he kind of takes charge of the movie and kind of wrestles it off Gene Hackman. Yeah, even even his kind of more average or kind of you know middling works, I feel like he elevates it. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really rare, especially nowadays, for an actor to do that. So yeah, that's kind of uh, that, that's how I see him personally yeah he, he i think you're right about him having a command of the screen there is something sort of incredibly efficient about him about him as an actor do you know what i mean yeah but he but that efficiency doesn't sort of get in the way of having a real humanity and being able to portray characters with flaws uh, or or the potential to change you know i think about like malcolm x he's playing someone that changed yeah. a lot in their life you know as a human being grew he handles that so well, you know. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I, I think it's weird that he isn't sort of considered in the pantheon of the absolute greats. Yeah, generally speaking, I um, think it's interesting because he's kind. He's he almost in a way he has. Um, it's interesting. Obviously, a few episodes ago, you did one on Tom Cruise. Yeah, because I feel like he has a. He's obviously not as commercially successful, but I feel like he's had a staying power very akin to him but with better performances oh, and yeah. more, um, more humble in in his approach to things as well i think especially his like real world persona i think as well like he he's not hamstrung by mistakes he's made in the past and like no. weird relationships and odd interviews and stuff like he seems quite put together in that respect like a family man obviously with the introduction of his son more recently on screen yeah, like yeah. John David Washington like I think he does carry that almost every man persona and that bleeds into his films as well I'd like to talk about that in, in a bit about just how that every man persona does kind of extend to the roles he plays yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I'll talk about that in, in, a, in a little moment mm. and, I th- and I think as well if you when you when you listen to other actors and particularly kind of African American and actors they are always talking about aspiring and looking up to Denzel and it's quite interesting because he's been around and had the same kind of period of career as Morgan Freeman 
And Morgan Freeman's also a very great actor and has a lot of iconic, great performances. But I don't think he's talked about as much as Denzel is in terms of kind of adoration by, like, his own community. And mm. I think that's in a way that shows his kind of, you know, his authority, the way he controls his image, the way he carries himself, and even the roles he chooses as well, because you don't really see him doing many supporting roles. He's mainly the lead. The only one but, I can think of is Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's Glory. Yeah, and that's he, mainly stuff earlier on early in his career. Early career stuff, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, that's true, yeah. I mean, even in films where he is part of a duo he still stands out as largely kind of the main character and gets first billing and things like that i'm thinking yeah. like training day you know look at just look at the poster for training day <laughs> yeah he's yeah, there like yeah, you know, yeah. front and center yeah uh ethan hawke's kind of out of focus in the background <laughs> yeah yeah it yeah, talks about his ability because i think there is a humbleness which i think you want to get into in a minute but you can also play those big roles those big characters you know yeah yeah and you can humanize the big characters like oh, in training yeah, exactly day, right? yeah, yeah yeah you can have those brilliant lines like king yeah. kong ain't got shit on me yeah, but it, yeah. But that <laughs> never feels sort of like naff no in, in terms of his characterization because of the groundwork that denzel lays in the characters he plays yeah yeah but i, I do think that there is something there is something pacino-esque about him in that regard yeah or maybe pacino is denzel-esque in that regard yeah, in the sense yeah. that yeah. they can play these when they play them well they can play these big characters but never at the expense of their believability in, in the realms yeah. of the story they inhabit it's yeah. just I think as a performer he just like on the screen he just commands respect mm. and it makes like he can he can say something like King Kong ain't got shit on me and you you buy it yeah like yeah, there yeah. might be a lesser actor where that just sounds goofy yeah yeah but it doesn't with Denzel that's why it's quoted to this day Remember, imagine if Dax Shepard had that line <laughs> well you know maybe we can speak to Warner Brothers after the strike's over and maybe try and get a training day remake yeah with Dax, with Shepard. Dax, Dax Shepard and um, David Schwimmer I'm glad so you well, said mate. it we're not part of the of the unions we can do it now in fact it's probably a good time to do it get them both from the blow anyone else ringing up I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah see if Fuqua wants to do a shot for shot remake <laughs> <laughs> like Van Sant did of Psycho. Oh you know? man, yeah. This is the film everybody's been asking for. <laughs> for, years. for years. I'm sick of hearing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm bored of hearing the question. Let's just see it on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you want to say about this sort of everyman image then, Ben? Because I'm interested by this. Yeah, I just feel like um, I can think of a handful of examples now with where he plays an seemingly ordinary guy that does extraordinary things right i'm mainly thinking of unstoppable which is a fucking brilliant film mm. like look at the if you if you kind of google it and you google the plot and you google like the the artwork it looks awful like it i cannot tell you how off-putting the marketing material for unstoppable was yeah the only reason i watched it was because it was on telly and i saw a tony scott film at the beginning i was like oh, okay well you know man on fire another notable denzel performance yeah, yeah and yeah. dakota fanning as well which we'll 
talk yeah. about in a, in a in bit. In context of Equalizer 3. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think Man on Fire has a bit of that everyman in, in it as well, although there's, you know, there's some plot devices which kind of puts him a little bit above an, an everyman, as, right. as it were. Well, he had quite the working relationship with Tony Scott. I think they did about four or five films together. Yeah. And pretty much every one of them is is great at at worst decent yeah 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 because yeah, yeah. yeah. i quite like the remake of uh the taking of palin one two three as well mm. and um deja I, vu's good de, deja like vu it. as well um crimson tide yeah um, yeah like it's a really good partnership and Tony Scott as well was quite a inventive filmmaker when it comes to kind of shooting action scenes as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think they just like they both cared about the craft and they both were really excited to entertain an audience. Yeah. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, even I think for a while they had a little bit of a kind of falling out. But oh, really? Tar- Tarantino said that like Tony Scott and Denzel Washington is one of the best actor-director partnerships. Like going in this yeah. century, at least. Like, oh man, wow. yeah. Um, I do think, just as a bit of a, an aside, and I think we've shared this opinion before, but in terms of consistency, Tony's got it over his brother, hasn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah. With, Big time. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, Ridley's done the more iconic stuff, obviously. Of He's course. been more successful in kind of yeah generating iconography. Yeah. But Tony, in so terms inconsistent. Of yeah. In terms yeah. of body of work, I would yeah, I would say Tony Scott's. Like better, clear well, winner. Glad we're in yeah, agreement yeah. there. <laughs> nice, but like particularly, I'm thinking with you know with within the context of Unstoppable. If you think about that character that he plays, just a train driver, just a normal train driver guy, right? Like, and then Chris Pine is a fellow train driver who, and they both have to stop a a, a runaway train. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Again, yeah. it sounds shit. <laughs> like, but it's, it's a classic sort of narrative. Design, yeah, device, so simple, it? but yeah. like, done so brilliantly, and the way like he glides, Tony Scott sort of glides his camera around the place, and and sort of those sort of almost comically massive crash zooms and helicopters and like bright lights and flares and stuff, and then at the centre of it all, you got Denzel Washington convincingly life coaching Chris Pine. Like I don't understand how he can pull that off. It just there's something about that every man kind of like he's having a conversation and weirdly like it's not about the fact they're on a train going at like 300 400 miles an hour it's like it's about chris pine's marital like the character's marital problems yeah and he makes it work like he kind of interweaves it seamlessly these kind of like seemingly banal real world issues with something so drastic and kind of life-altering and violent like i just love i think that film's just an absolute gem that you you know more people should almost study <laughs> as yeah. as like like you say as the classic narrative thing of taking something simple and injecting it with some real energy and Denzel's your man for that yeah absolutely you know? there's life in it isn't there I mean we, mm. again we self reference ourselves again yeah. uh, but you know in the in the Tom Cruise episode we talk about that you know there yeah. was life in those old tropes if mm. you just take the time to do it and like yeah, yeah. I think Tom Cruise knows that and I think Tony Scott knew that and yeah I, you know and, and, and it was some. It was an. It was a knowledge that was only you know, I guess sort of improved by the presence of Denzel. Probably knew that as well. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Well, it's an, obviously um, his Philadelphia co-star Tom Hanks. Like uh, he always gets the kind of moniker of like America's dad, doesn't he? Yeah. But I almost feel like in a way like Denzel also is as well. He's almost evolved into that. But instead of like Tom Hanks is 
probably seems like the more kind of kinder dad. They're like Denzel's almost uh, like kind of like do your homework, dad. <laughs> if that makes sense, like sort your shit out, Dad. Like, yeah, yeah. Like he's that, he's that one. He's like you, you, you love him and look up to him, but he's he's gonna kick your ass if you like, you know. You step out of line. You step out of line. Yeah. Yeah. There is something sort of old school about him, isn't there? Mm, there's, yeah. There's an old school image. Yeah. I don't think he. Obviously, like he has no issues playing sort of characters with more sensitive elements, but there is definitely like a. Like a you know, like a sort of hard-bodied roughness to him, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, and he ble- that that kind of hard-bodiedness bleeds into the sensitive area as well. Like, I'm thinking with flight. Have you seen flight? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like the bit at the end where he admits he's an alcoholic, which is like n- not an easy thing I can imagine for any anyone to do. And he employs that sort of sensitive side to, to to the character, but he doesn't falter in terms of like he's really good at inflections. And, and saying things in an almost American version of the Queen's English, right? So he's not doing what I do because I'm from, like, the southeast of England. Like, I drop a lot of vowels and stuff. Like, everything is, like, very... The inflection is there. Like, yeah, and yeah, every yeah. every letter is spoken with intent. Uh, and yet, that scene at the end of Flight, which I think is really great, um, probably the best scene in the film apart from the plane crash, <laughs> um, just sort of is, is a a great example of how he can maintain that kind of father figure to everyone sort of sternness but also admit that he's a you know his character in this instance is completely broken <laughs> yeah I'd there there you go coincidentally that was a film that was uh, so we put the old Instagram question out oh yeah one of the f- yeah. couple only two responses two unbelievable <laughs> no one of the responses we got from Flynn was it was that he said ah. even though he thought the script was quite mawkish Denzel yeah. elevates it and blows out the park, which speaks what you were saying earlier. Absolutely, which, yeah. I with him. Oh yeah, he's the best thing so about that film. Yeah. And um, kind of back to the dad point uh, point as well. It completely passed me by that he directed and starred in Fences, where he is literally that kicking the yeah, ass. Dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. Uh, and that's such an incredible film. But yeah, like it come out like with 2016, and yeah, like, forgot about it but it's, it's such an incredible film if you haven't seen it it's good Highly yeah I quite like it one. yeah he directed that one as well it's, uh, yeah didn't yes, he do he did, Roman yeah. J is Royal Esquire or SQ SQ was that him I'm fairly sure it was that was him yes yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Tony Gilroy directed that one I believe oh he oh, Tony Gilroy directed it why yes. do I think it was Denzel that's embarrassing sorry <laughs> uh, yeah. stop the podcast yeah 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 <laughs> stop it forever <laughs> um, let's Talk about a film of each of his then that we sort of admire. Mm. I know you recently watched Mississippi Masala. I did, yeah. Um, and I don't want to sort of rob, you know, I don't know if you had a different film you want to talk about. Um, um, but I mean, I, I've not seen it, but I just would be interested to know what you thought about it because I've heard a lot about this movie and, and you've actually brought it over for me to watch, which I will do. Yeah. Um, but um, what were your th- thoughts on that? Well,. I mean, I probably will. It probably won't go down as my top Denzel film, but it's really hard to pick because there's so many to choose from. Yeah. Um, like you rattle off a list, and like, like so many come to the tip of your tongue. But Mississippi Masala is a is one of his more, especially contemporarily anyway, like unknown films. But it was um. So 1993, it's by a director near and there. It's a Indian American filmmaker. Romantic film about 
like Denzel's character, he's like a carpet cleaner and he's a kind of family man who kind of cares for his dad and his old older brother. Even in that, he's that kind of like, he's a young man in this, but he's still very commanding. Older than his years sort of yeah, thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, he um, begins a relationship with a yeah indian indian american girl and uh the kind of complications that um arises from the kind of generational gaps you know especially with um the kind of interracial relationship and how um older generations of you know that their cultures also don't like you know mixed race relationships and they get kind of uncomfortable at it and right, okay. not not doing what the culture tells you to do sort of thing yeah okay but it's um yeah it's a really interesting it's a really sweet funny quite sad at times film kind of one that's gone a little bit under the radar but it's yeah it's a very lovely film totally like i only sort of vaguely knew about it uh and i remember when you messaged me to say you want to get on this for because for, you know it's professional for denzel you said you'd bought it and i was like, oh yeah it is one of those films you sort of just like think like yeah yeah it just disappears like yeah when you consider his other work but no I, I, I'm interested to check it out and that sort of cross-cultural romance is a, such a you know a mainstay in cinema particularly like in the 90s early 2000s yeah and it's quite in, like because a lot of these films also t- it tends to be a mixed race relationship between um, and there's usually a white character. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. like, so it's interesting seeing two, you know, different cultures and how they are kind of similar generational anxiety mm, mm. kind of about it. Um, when obviously, really, it shouldn't be kind of a problem. No. But the younger the generations get, people are getting a lot more open minded, aren't they? It's, uh, yeah, definitely one I'd uh, recommend. Hmm. Um, but yeah, what about you? What about you guys? What would you? Uh, my favourite one is Unstoppable. I think my favourite Denzel Washington performance is Unstoppable. I've kind of already rattled <laughs> on a little bit about that one. Uh, American Gangsters one to watch. That's interesting. It's kind of a pretty average gangster film with a really great duo of performances. Actually, I really like Russell Crowe in it as well. Oh <laughs> um, yeah, he's pretty good in it. Isn't yeah, he? yeah, it's like it's very much like Ridley Scott. I'd very recently watched The Godfather and wanted to do it again, but in a different neighbourhood kind of thing. Yeah, it's yeah. too long. Definitely. It's like in s- the, the plot beats are too drawn out. But some really great performances in it, Denzel included. Uh, aforementioned Flight, of course. I love Man on Fire. I think Man on Fire is a, a really underrated Tony Scott film. Hundred uh, percent. Like, yeah. I mean, I think it's enjoyed a lot of sort of audience appreciation but yeah. like it's like 38 percent on rotten tomatoes didn't do that well that's that really, bizarre i know it's not yeah. a bad movie it's like, a really great film yeah, yeah it's a great film it yeah. really knows what it is like and the editing in it is just fucking frenetic and and it it enhances an already really good denzel performance as well like, yeah yeah um but yeah, no. I, I mean, I, I think I've I've said I said my my piece about which <laughs> which is which of my which, which of my favourite kind of Denzel performances for sure. Uh, what about you, Danny? What's your pick? Well, um, I sort of watched a film that eluded me quite a lot uh, in regards to both, not only Denzel's filmography as an actor, but Spike Lee's uh, filmography right, as a okay. director. Yeah, um, he got game. Yeah, that's um, a great film. Nice. And I honestly, I it might be. My favourite Spike Lee film, maybe. Wow, wow. Um, 
I just love it. I just think from the from the moment from the intro onwards, it's you really it really communicates this idea of like sport being like akin to religion. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like obviously in this case it's basketball, but you know, obviously our closest thing in England obviously would be football. And yeah, and obviously, you know, we grew up in, you know, quite sort of big footballing cities and, and obviously fell in love with our football clubs and but to move away from that this is yeah, like this is no, you know, no, no, it's good. But you know like like religion sport is an intrinsic to like one's community and identity oh absolutely it's an expression of who you are you know what i mean fundamentally more than anything else well in a way it gives it gives you something to care about or believe in you you can have a bit more of a detachment from it than you can for example if you're incredibly kind of religious or or even not like you can have a yeah similar relationship you can kind of get really into it take yourself out take yourself back in and you know it's something that maybe brings people together who kind of wouldn't normally come together Mm. i think it's there's something to be said about um the uncertainty it generates that tantalizing uncertainty because you never i mean it's not up to you ultimately there is nothing you can you can personally do short of maybe funding the club (laughs) of actually changing the outcome so you're pedging your bets and in some cases your sanity and happiness on something completely out of your control it's like gambling right it's like putting yeah it's like going to a roulette wheel it's the same i do think it's the same feeling in a a sort of strange way um there you go but in the case of um he got game it sort of focuses on is it ray allen yeah ray allen who um who was a NBA basketball yeah, player as well. Yeah, pretty good one from what I understand. Yes. I mean, my cursory research and lack of knowledge on basketball <laughs> aside, I think he was quite a good basketball player. Um, and he plays this sort of up-and-coming high school basketballer that's on this sort of precipice of this big decision that he's got to make. Mm. And the things that are sort of weighing his decision down is his, is his conscience to sort of provide for his family. Uh, and also to listen to his his uh, his late mother's advice about sort of securing an education and learning. It's not just about athletic growth; it's about academic growth as well, which was really important to his late mum, who mm. passed away in circumstances that are related to Denzel's character that I mentioned later. Yeah, and I just find it's really fascinating this idea that obviously there's an escapist element from a fan perspective, but when you are this athlete. And you are toted, in the case of this film, he's toted to be like the next, the, the greatest player of all time, uh, should he maintain the trajectory that he's on. The community starts hedging their bets on you as well, and they see you as a way to get out of their situation. So like his family, like his, um, he lives with his uncle, and his uncle's a bit of a money grabber, isn't he? Like, And is sort of basically like already planning his own life off the mm. back of his um, nephew's success. Yeah. And he, I think Rosario Dawson plays his girlfriend who is having an affair with someone that's setting him up with an agent to try and get him into the NBA. Yeah, um, yeah, so he okay. could like basically miss out college basketball and the education, everything that would bring and go straight to the NBA and make a disgusting amount of money, the yeah. fame and fortune and all that. So there's a lot going on for this, for, for this lead character. Yeah. And he's got the pressure of his community uh, the pressure of expectation of the close people around him, even people like his coach who've been like lending him money, always with the assumption that when this guy gets to the top and he rises, he's going to drag all these people up with him. Um, and that creates a pressure for him as well. But I think it's interesting because obviously 
this idea of escaping your environment, escaping your background is quite central to the theme because obviously they're living in a sort of relative impoverishment and a lot of the societal troubles and issues that come with that impoverishment. Mm. So like Lee's quite delicate in the way he handles that. I mean, the side characters, even though they're sort of manipulating him a little bit to try and get what they want, you can sort of understand why. Because to them, there's no way they're going to get out of this situation unless he rises to stardom do you know what i mean mm. yeah yeah um but yeah no i just wonder what you th- thought about obviously I've, I've missed out the key thing that is denzel who is in it <laughs> you know uh, he plays his dad right he's yeah. in prison mm. and he uh basically gets told by the prison warden that uh the local governor's a huge basketball fan and if he can convince his son to play for a certain college he will shorten his prison sentence uh, and he okay. gets released for a week to try and convince him sorry that was a really key plot device that I've just sort of ignored no, this no, lengthy right, ramble yeah. that you've been very gracious to listen to <laughs> um, but I just think it, you know as a film on its own merits as an exploration of like struggle and grief and familial difficulty uh, and sport as religion, sport as hope, sport mm. as oppression. I don't know. I just think it's fantastic, and and I think it might be my favourite Denzel performance as well oh, because of the kind okay. of character he plays. Yeah. Um, would you like to sort of expand because I've not really talked about the character. I'm sort of sick of hearing no, myself talk. But um, what do you think about his characterisation in that film? No, I think he's um, again. He was like the kick in the ass dad before. Like he was the one. He was like the pushy dad coach. You know, forcing him, forcing him out there, kind of, you know, like you don't stop, you keep kind of hustling, sort of, mm. kind of mentality, and then obviously he gets kind of sent down because maybe because he indulges that too much. Yeah. So it feels like maybe it's like a subtle, not subtle, a pretty uh-huh. straight up inversion of that archetype that he plays. Maybe. Oh, absolutely. He kind of goes back and forth on his whether to do kind of the right thing or not but I think that's the, it's the interesting thing about Denzel again he's always uh, he's playing with kind of morality and yeah. he's, he's such mm. a believer and is it like in kind of yeah like people paying for the kind of mistakes they make or kind of repenting for kind of any wrongdoing that you mm. have mm. and I think that yeah that, that comes out in this Obviously, it's a bit more kind of vague because, you know, there is obviously a part of him in this film where he wants to shorten his sentence. That's why he's out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, without spoiling it too much, like, yeah, like, it's the kind of debate he's having in the in the film, really. Yeah, because obviously he's, his character is wrestling with the guilt of what he did. Yeah. Uh, in the film, he, he is the one that is killed the, the lead oh, character's okay. mum right, yeah. in like a sort of a little scuffle as a result of him, of a younger him refusing to sort of like bow down to his father's pretty outrageous sort of training strategies let's yeah. be honest <laughs> I mean in, in a way they're probably a part of the reason why his character's so fucking good at basketball yeah. and that's something he has to sort of begrudgingly accept because there's also an element of trauma in that acceptance Yeah, you know Denzel's character's obviously besieged by the grief of that and, and the guilt yeah also the guilt of destroying his family the guilt of allowing his demons to take hold to subsequently destroy his family but what is really interesting about the characterization though is that he still has those demons in him it's still apparent in his character that he's still someone that can't really control his temper very well and clearly has like you know an issue with alcohol and i just thought it's a really bold 
choice from Denzel. Obviously, he's gonna he's gonna work with Spike Lee because they had an amazing collaboration over I think three films. Yeah. Um, I think it's sort of him and Tony Scott, the two ones he's collaborated with the most. Yeah. Um, and Fuqua. Of and course. Fuqua, of Fuqua, course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I just think it's a really bold choice from an acting perspective to play a character that, in the one hand, upholds the values of a sort of more archetypal Denzel character, but hasn't sort of completely come out of the woods yet in terms of dealing with his problems. Well, his his own flaws as a human being has kind of undermined that authority and respect that he's trying to distill. Yeah, mm. yeah, I that's about really myself. Good. Yeah, yeah. Mm. for me as well, like. Um, Obviously, Malcolm X is also like, oh, a masterpiece as well, yeah, and he's yeah, like yeah. incredible in that. Like, obviously, I mentioned Mississippi Masala, but I think you can do a Denzel Washington podcast without talking about Training Day as well. Oh, oh yeah, like, tra- Training Day. I think, I think that might be his most iconic performance for me. I'd say in terms of um, lines of dialogue, li- lines yeah, of yeah. dialogue. He brandishes that line between being really charming but then being completely evil and he just switches back and forth constantly yeah and mind you he's obviously acting mainly alongside Ethan Hawke who is also an incredible actor yeah and like yeah rarely does a a bad performance but he's almost he's almost taken to school by Denzel (laughs) yeah literally yeah yeah, as a character and as an actor he's just you know and that's not you know like yeah, Ethan Hawke's good in a way where he does. He he knows that this is Denzel's to dominate, and he's just gonna kind of work around that. He knows his yeah. place, right? He does. Yeah, yeah. He knows his place, he, but he's he absolutely does. happy to occupy that yeah. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that like, serves a character well as well, you know. Doesn't it? Yeah. And that's one of the ones as well. Like you know, it's it was it's a great script, and like he turned it into something iconic. He's pure evil in that movie, but then there's almost moments when. He's quite enjoyable to be around, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's no, always, yeah. He's almost like a guy you'd meet at a party that you have a nice time, but then like you probably wouldn't ha- want to ever hang out with him. Yeah, one to one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, That's what the best villains are, though, isn't it? The, yeah, the best villains are is is that they obviously they've got what makes them the villain. Obviously, in yeah. their actions or beliefs or whatever it is they do. But there is something when they're on the screen, you don't want them to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that film. I remember uh, for about 15 years afterwards, everything Anton Fuqua did had the uh, the quote from the director of Training Day. Yes, yeah. It was that, like, it made that much of an impression that, like, the marketing for every subsequent film he made felt the need to reference it. And uh, I don't think he's made a film as good since, really. No. No, no. He's, he's he is a good, like, he's a very good workman-like director. Yeah. Like, can't think of anything off the top of my head that he's done that is particularly bad. He's always done stuff which is decent. Yeah, I think maybe The Guilty wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible either. Have you seen that one? It's, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, it's a remake of uh, the Dutch film about the police, oh. police interceptor. Oh, is that that one that um, came out on Netflix soon? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's all right. I haven't seen that one. The thing yet. is, that it was fine as well. It wasn't shit. It was fine. But I, th- I think that's it. He's had quite a, like, kind of, yeah, like, ever since then, he's, yeah, he's been quite kind of workmanlike. Yeah. Um, other than, yeah. yeah, other than mainly, like, his stuff with Denzel. Olympus Has Fallen, which was the better of the White House movies, even though it was the cheaper one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did he do that? He did. Oh, he I didn't did. know that. 
He didn't yeah. do a sequel and its sequel. No, didn't no. Do London has fallen and Angel has fallen. No, he did. He <laughs> Such did. a jump, that yeah. isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Angel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like Angel's supposed to be a place. Angel, Massachusetts. But it's interesting that you say about the Guilty remake. I, you know, it's funny because obviously I think what you said earlier about him being like a workman like director is absolutely true mm. in the sense that he just takes that project on because why not yeah. Yeah, and the yeah. problem with that film is that it's just not going to be as good as the original no and no. its existence is largely going to be kind of pointless in, by comparison it's which just, isn't really his fault it's more of just like yeah. a symptom of modern yeah. Hollywood it's perhaps. competently made and it's clearly made with love it's just yeah. not like there's a strange thing in it where they felt the need to introduce the like California wildfires to the plot for no reason when when like I mean that that's the sc- a problem with the screenplay not the director is that just some sort of environmental angle or yeah I don't know it didn't have it in the Dutch version uh, so why I don't I don't understand that it'd be funny if they were talking about the Dutch yeah. version yeah there's yeah, a really yeah. horrible story unfolding by the way there's some woods on fire in, in, in California yeah yeah like, yeah, I don't, I'll be, yeah I've got bigger things to worry about mate yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll call you back yeah. <laughs> don't go yeah. and he also did the uh, Magnificent Seven Oh yeah, I've not Denzel seen that as well, which is also it's quite enjoyable. It's fine, like it's, yeah, it's and fine. that's and that's you go to the film expecting it to be fine, and you get fine, yeah, mm. and that's yeah. not a bad thing. Exactly. You know, he he does he does what he's given, and he does it with a bit of style and panache, yeah. and you can't really complain too much about that, can you? So. No, agreed. Uh, there are a few people that can frame Denzel better, than yeah, yeah, to be honest. True, yeah. Um, which will lead very nicely to our discussion about Threequalizer. Threequalizer. <laughs> So gutted they didn't call it that. That'd have been really it's a missed cool. opportunity. I think so. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't take most kind of like studio marketing things and like throw a few kind of freeze in with the actual kind yeah. of title to make it really confusing. Like, the threequalized three. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just loads of threes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so. Equalizer One saw Denzel take on the Russian mob in mm. a, in a hardware store. Yes. Equalizer Two saw him tackle governmental corruption mm. in a great set piece at the end. I think you sort of said that uh, so in good. the tail end of the last episode, yeah. which I would agree with. Yeah. Now he's in Italy, southern Italy. Yes, somewhere yeah. near Naples, uh, the Amalfi Coast. The Amalfi yeah. Coast. After yes. Yeah. Went there recently, so Aye, uh, it was give quite, us some quite uh, nice uh, seeing that again on screen. And here he is once again dispensing justice. Mm. Initial thoughts in comparison to the other ones, because I'm interested to hear your takes on this. Mm. I think this actually might be already just from what you said, like where we might slightly disagree, because mm, I, I feel like I, like I well. enjoyed this one more than I did the second one. Oh no um, way! Okay. But not that I think the second one's particularly bad. I think I cared more about the kind of little community he had going on here in Naples in this one. Okay. I think I, I, found, I found it quite charming, but I think that's maybe because I'm a... I, deep down, I also want to live in a small village in Italy, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe I want to be the equaliser. Um, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Was that on your notes, or did you just think of that? Now? <laughs> That's great. I've got it tattooed on my lower back. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, what about you, Ben? Uh, I wasn't so keen on it. Yeah, I actually, though, funnily enough, I quite like the Italy stuff. Like, I yeah. liked the fact that he was fitting into this community. 
and I liked how he was sort of going into semi-retirement. I I think the the weakness of the film was it didn't have the fucking didn't have the equivalent of the hurricane. Like I I thought it was really light on action or at least any action that f- had any kind of stakes because he seemed to just be loads better than all these mafia guys yeah, at, at yeah, every yeah, stage yeah. in the film. He was just like like there was no kind of point in which you thought oh these are these guys are really going to maybe rough him up and they've got the upper hand. Like he just seemed to be better than them. Like even at the beginning when he's near death it's like I'd, yeah I'd, particularly, I, particularly in the marketing of the film as well because I remember like reading like the mark the little sort of paragraphs they have for marketing about the film yeah so he, he takes on his most dangerous adversaries yeah and it's like I these guys know. are fucking idiots like yeah. you know in the most classic sort of action film way these yeah. these guys are idiots so yeah. they're not really a problem for him mm. I feel I feel like the problem with it is it's got two different plots at some point it's like <laughs> you've got you've got him taking on the Gamora but then you've also got this kind of terrorism subplot yeah and, yeah. I, that, yeah, and I almost feel like if you would maybe kind of gone away from the the terrorist subplot and just maybe gave these mobsters or gangsters like a bit more dimension yeah, a bit more agency like, yeah, yeah i feel like it maybe would have been more compelling yeah, yeah. um you know it, i think it still works on a kind of basic level um and i i do kind of like how again kind of spot that you know how the kind of the big bad gets gets his just desserts because i mm. feel i feel like there's almost some, a bit like you know what you don't deserve a big grandiose death like i can do that to all these people no problem you're gonna be pathetic you're gonna you know you're gonna be like yeah crawling on your knees yeah, in the yeah. streets with a kind of apple cart falling on you yeah those are like peppers falling yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's and right there's yeah, almost yeah. in a way it's like yeah i could do all this i could you know i could shove a rocket launcher up your ass and you know fly you over to croatia but no, you're not getting that. Yeah, I can see <laughs> from that. I know like, what you mean. Yeah. It's almost something like, yeah, like you know, have all that stuff around him. And like, no, you you get you get the basic you get the basic meal deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of death. <laughs> uh, I sort of feel like going on that point about this sort of ineptitude of 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 the adversaries. Although I sort of see that point where you're saying there as well. I think it could have been a really interesting opportunity to sort of say something about like mortality and age mm. because the film yeah. clearly wanted to do that like at yeah. the start when he gets injured there's a sort of implication mm. that oh my body's like not good enough it can't sort of heal like it used to yeah sort of thing. he tries to doesn't he try to shoot himself and then he yeah, decides yeah. against it or something or, or he's put, the, there's, no the gun, bullet, yeah. there's no bullet in the gun yeah and like there's this scene it's like that Rocky-esque sort of classic thing of like trying to beat the stairs of like sort of a Malfi Coast town and eventually yeah. he does it <laughs> so that there's obviously like an indication here perhaps it's more to suggest the finality of the character in the sense that this has got to end sometime yeah but i just felt that there could have been something interesting there and again i'm not sort of expecting like so anything deep thematically speaking but i just think obviously it flirted with that and then he's just like you know back to business you know yeah. in a way that you know sort of just sort of disregards a lot of that character work which denzel is so good at yeah i do think so i think there's like there's a kind of a, a couple of out of place moments in which it cuts to like 
frescoes or, or like stained glass windows with blood running down yeah the there. biblical like, imagery in this film is oh, so much. much of it yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Roman Way Catholic too much. stuff yeah yeah of, uh, you know obviously the theme of guilt and there's clearly he's clearly weird like feeling guilty about stuff he's done in the past but but that isn't touched on enough to justify those like really long shots of the stained glass yeah. windows I feel like mm. and then it's offset by arguably the, the most amount of like bloody violence in an equaliser film oh, this is yeah, easily yeah, yeah. the most bloody I think Oh yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ! The uh, the opening scene, like it was relentless, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, when it sort of smashes the gun through someone's head and then shoots yeah. someone through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Rough film, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was really. I was like, fucking hell! This must be right on the end of the fifteen sort of age rating yeah. spectrum. Like, it's got to be. Yeah, yeah. And that offset again that, that sort of guilt that he's feeling. I mean, it's a classic sort of action character motif, isn't mm, it? Yeah, guilt. I don't know, maybe like you're not supposed to read into it too much, but I was sort of thinking about that more broadly as well in the context of the violence because I said right at the start of the intro that this film felt the most canon-esque of the trilogy in mm. the sense that it you know, it, it frames the sort of struggles of the of the working folk as these sort of virtuous beings. Yeah. yeah. And they're being sort of assaulted by some egomaniacal, morally bankrupt monster. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. all that is there for is to sort of basically curtail any sort of qualms you might have about the sort of sadistic violence that he employs in the film. Yeah. I don't know. And again, oh like, yeah, he could have he could have just got a, like considering he's like a suit, like he could have just got a silencer, and got them all quite peacefully. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, quickly. Nah, <laughs> he, nah. Like he, yeah. I mean, it's so violent, and mm, yeah. it was almost like. Don't be wrong. I love I love myself some violence and action films. I bloody love action films, and I know that you know it's perhaps silly to expect a level of nuance in in that regard uh, and it didn't necessarily derail my enjoyment but you know given how fucking bloody the film is and there's like flashbacks of him killing all the gangsters he's like smashing yeah. them with wine bottles and hacking their hands off with a machete oh yeah like, first person it's yeah, like how yeah, can you yeah. like i don't know like are you really guilty because you're just gonna go <laughs> do this again in some other town somewhere yeah, do you know what i mean yeah. like <laughs> I don't know. It make, does it? It sort of makes the her, the heroic element of his character a bit more difficult to swallow. Mm, yeah, no, I you know? agree. Because yeah. he does come across like a fucking psychopath. I oh, think. completely. Yeah, yeah. It is. It, it is a lot more of a kind of weird contrast to this one. Because again, like it's, it's 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 quite nice seeing him like just like in the neighborhood chatting to people and just being buying like, fish. Yeah, buying yeah, fish yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff like it's quite nice. And then like, all of a sudden, like you know, he's like he's shooting someone in the arsehole <laughs> Yeah, Which, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, he does shoot someone with a shotgun. Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, needlessly as well. They're yeah, di- they're yeah. going to die regardless. Yeah. But he's so like, probably, you know, yeah, I, th- I think I think <laughs> we can safely say, like, you know, whether you know, we all say it's the best in the franchise or not. I think we can safely say, if you want to see Denzel Washington shoot someone in the arsehole, go and see the Equalizer Three. Yeah, because yeah. you're gonna get that. Yeah, Robert McCall at his most violent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I am. Um, there's a couple of odd moments in this film. I'd like to run by you just cool. to see if I haven't missed anything. Go on. There's a bit where, because uh, so, so um, it doesn't matter. There's no spoilers really, but he befriends a, a local. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he befriend, befriends a, a local waitress at one point. Glad she wasn't a love interest, by the way. That would have been a bit I, much. Yeah, I did it think, was teetering I was bit, on the edge. I was a bit it? worried at that point. I was yeah. like, no way, come on, this isn't happening, surely. I mean, Denzel's still a handsome fella. Don't get me wrong, oh, but yeah, like. Yeah. It seems a bit out of the realms of too bit much. Yeah, yeah I'm glad that yeah. they didn't uh, didn't go through with that. Uh, but there's a there's a bit where she just hands him a spoon, 
and goes, ah, oh, you forgot this. It's yours. And he's like, ah, oh, thanks. And then, what? Like, do you isn't remember the, what I'm talking isn't about? Isn't the spoon he always uses? That's what I sort of, yeah, I try to it, remember. That was he, there a scene pre, like, predating that moment where it establishes the spoon as a, a Is it his dead wife's spoon? Uh, no, so I think this is also a little bit of the problem is because he just kind of loses it a bit in this film, actually. It's like, in the first this two... This is a spoon. It's his spoon. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah. there's, al- there's also this thing where he has OCD... Oh, yeah. So yeah, you always yeah, see yeah. he has a similar way, like he kind of puts certain things down, how he has his tea, and even there's a bit at the beginning where he asks for the tea and she brings like a coffee. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But then he has a coffee and kind of, and yeah, he just has a coffee in this and then just kind of like all of a sudden he doesn't have OCD anymore. Um, which, yeah. Um, I don't know how, co- <laughs> that don't, that's not how coffee works. No, no, it's um, not but, how OCD uh, works either. You know, <laughs> I, know I, I know Italians are kind of famous for their coffee, <laughs> but I don't think it kills. Uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. No, no. I'm not mistaken. No, I, as far um, as I'm aware, I mean there might be something, but I don't you know. You know. Um, okay, but um, yeah, I f- I think it's to do with that, but they don't address it enough in this, so it does kind of seem a little bit strange. Feels really weird. Yeah. She's like, By the way, and like it's like a <laughs> yeah. sort of minute long moment. Here's your spoon, yeah. mate. Here's your spoon. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. thank you. That's brilliant. Cheers. Uh, yeah. I'm just gonna go and shoot this guy in the arsehole. <laughs> like what? Um, okay, so that's you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why it stuck with me. Um, so the other moment, which I think was just quite funny. Uh, I'm sorry, we'll get back to no, some no, serious no, stuff. No. I just thought like it was really weird when um, they go, they, these two go for like a, a dinner. And she takes him to like a local market that has like a sort of benches. Yeah. And they pan across all this really nice looking Italian food. I'm so glad <laughs> you mentioned. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then a land on a kebab. Yeah. A Donna kebab wheel spinning, and she's and he goes, "What's that?" She goes, "It's a kebab." <laughs> what? Why? I don't know what place that moment has in this film at all. It has no bearing on like I don't know. I, I mean, I yeah. mean, also if we're nitpicking here as well, considering obviously he was like a former CIA uh, operative, so I'm sure he's kind of well travelled in the world. So he might have seen a kebab before. I think yeah, he might have done. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I know, he might not be kind of drinking on the high streets of Britain. No. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, he we might, you, you know, we yeah. know, we might not be, you know, going down kind of Medway, um, <laughs> uh, you know, like midnight trying to get like a Donna Donna wrap. Yeah, but, um, you know, I'm sure he's travelled to many countries in the world where they've served kebab. Yeah, yeah because it's this idea, isn't it? When he meets uh, Dakota Fanning's character, like he sort of deconstructs every part of her character. So yeah, he's, yeah, he's obviously got. He's not just got the sort of the brutal killing efficiency. He's got the mind of an operative. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Just, as you say, well travelled, sort of, mm. you know, sharpened mind. He doesn't yeah. know what a fucking kebab is. It's like, come on, like, bizarre. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do not I did not that's one like, gap in his knowledge yeah. if yeah. only the villain had used it to his advantage yeah. you know what I mean like well maybe he's yeah. like a pescatarian so like he yeah maybe usually, yeah uh... <laughs> and you just got all the foods beautifully laid out I know, it's like a yeah. Waitrose advert isn't it yeah, it's, it's really weird. weird yeah yeah my scene that I want to pick out as as well whilst from the picking out weird scenes is the end oh yeah so the end <laughs> where it's like obviously like I guess it's sort of like was is it foreshadowing sort of Napoli's Syria uh, title win or something and there's like the guys all run through the street the yeah, local team has yeah. won they're all in blue yeah and then he gets up and starts <laughs> dancing like jigging with yeah. them all yeah. I think it's a size be- he's gonna become a kind of Italian football and Neapolitan 
Yeah, that's yeah, it. Maybe, and that's yeah. it. He's, fi- he's finally settling into the community. He's, he's yeah. you know, he's going to have like a Diego Maradona full chest piece tattoo. Or maybe he'll be like know? in a statue next to him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In this village, like him hugging Maradona. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I just thought it was so strange because of that bit in the film where he, where he kills the, um, he kills like the main gangster's brother. Oh, that's in right. In the street, yeah. which yeah. other people must have seen him doing. It's fucking brutal. Oh, awful. He doesn't yeah. just stab him. He like stabs him up in the neck, straight through his brain with yeah, a big knife, yeah. and, just and leaves him by the van, doesn't yeah. he, to, to die slowly. <laughs> I always think about when I think about that kind of excessive violence in films and how it can be done really well. And I know it's a different genre, and this might be a bit of a weird aside, but like when I always think about that elevator scene in Drive, yes, and what yeah, the violence yeah. in that scene means mm. is the fact that this character violence is a part of his life, and yeah. he's never going to be able to like. Get, you know, you can't subsidize that with like a loving relationship. Like yeah. he is this person. Yeah. You know, and that's a really effective way to use sort of ultra violence, basically, mm. to sort of establish a part of the character and as a narrative device to move the mm. the plot forwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just think in action films, maybe I'm, it's a bit unfair to compare it in that regard because obviously Drive isn't an out-and-out action movie necessarily. Yeah. But like in the context of someone like this this old fella, yeah, he's obviously no. trying to find himself. And he wants this peace and quiet. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see them try and like I don't know, maybe him like not do it, just maybe like see someone and be like no, not just here. Sort hesitate, of thing. yeah, yeah, think yeah. twice. Uh, um, well, yeah. well, you know, maybe uh, justice maybe never he's sleeps. Get into football, so and yeah. justice never does sleep. So <laughs> like yeah. cinema, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a great man once said. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's it is a tricky relationship that these kind of vigilante or kind of revenge films have it's like how much do these in this fantasy anyway like how much do these characters deserve this i guess yeah you're right um yeah so like i guess i guess that's you know there's the tricky relationship you have it's like you know whether you believe that these kind of bad guys are bad enough to get such a barbecue in if you will yeah um but you know. it, it does a great, quite a funny job of reducing the entirety of the mafia in Naples to like twelve blokes. Yeah, as well, it's yeah. like they're killed and then everything's better again. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I do kind yeah. of. I know that's a, a trope. I'm not necessarily criticizing it for that, but it, it does. It suffers from that, like, uh, yeah, the lack of nuance, really, uh, of to, as to like, yeah. you know. With a film that's relatively grounded in reality, you know, I'm thinking about the explosion in Rome. Like Dakota Fanning gets absolutely knocked out cold by that. Like it doesn't, yeah. you know, she doesn't get up again and sprint to Na- Naples, yeah. does she? Like it's sort of it is grounded in reality enough that you expect a little bit more from the villains and the way the villain and the villainy, aka, in, you know, in this case, the did you call it the Gomorrah? Is that right? Is yeah, that a, a term for it. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen more of that. Maybe yeah. uh, if if possible yeah. uh, you know it's only uh, like an hour 50 so they could have done that maybe it's a, it's a, it, I guess like you're right I think it's, it, the film occupies a sort of slightly awkward space tonally in relation to genre as well yeah obviously yeah. it's still out and out an action movie mm. yeah in attempt to ground the action film in something more meaningful I think you also it then in- increases the sort of expectation on other areas of the movie which you don't sort of get yeah but yeah by that same token i feel like maybe i'm just being like a bit of a snobby bastard about thinking all these things as well do you know what i mean because it is an action movie and yeah you know, maybe yeah. maybe it doesn't deserve this kind of treatment i'm not so sure what do you think lee no i think i think it's like you know it's good to kind of point out but 
at the same time you're aware enough and I think we're all aware enough that like yeah it is it's doing exactly kind of what it says on the tin but I guess yeah I I think by the sounds of it like our main kind of problem really is uh, like uh, the the kind of bad guys are kind of undeveloped and a bit underwhelming in terms of like yeah. the justification for the amount of violence that's kind of given yeah, to them. Yeah. Like, you know, I guess if they were maybe a bit more kind of three dimensional and um, probably more substantial, then I think we'd, pr- you know, you'd probably be a bit kind of more okay with someone's head getting smashed in i think they were set, they were set up to be a bit more three-dimensional as well like there was the the relationship between the two brothers i was like okay i'm on board with this one of them is the kind of runt of the litter who who yeah. is, is is aspiring to be his yeah his, his brother's like and they spend time with that brother. as well don't yeah. they they do and then he just yeah. gets stabbed in the head but in reverse yeah. and it's like oh he's gone then uh all right i, f- I think <laughs> yeah. that's the problem yeah it just it gets too bogged down in the kind of terrorism stuff Mm, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But rather than like, you know, even if they weren't <coughs> actually that, like, have a lot more of them. Yeah, like you know, make yeah. them, you know, make them uh, like. I think most people are kind of intelligent enough to know that, like, kind of, you know, drug, drug dealing's bad, intimidation's bad, and like, we don't, we don't need like, oh, like, you know, drugs fund terrorism because, mm. like, you know. Think no one's really that naive. <laughs> like, yeah. The terrorism plot just, I think, distracts from from it, and then in turn, you lose focus, and then all of a sudden, the three dimension. Well, the beginning of what could be three dimensional characters then just, you know, become cannon fodder. Yeah. yeah. Is it then the terrorist stuff? The subplot there is like an attempt to supplement this sort of man on fire reunion. I think it's funny I you say so. that. Yeah, I do. Sorry, Lee. I, I just, yeah, I was just about to kind of mention the fact that that Dakota Fanning is included in this film as an obvious homage to her relationship with uh, Denzel Washington's character in Man on Fire, which, as we kind of previously mentioned, has entered the public co- public's consciousness and is now, it, from an audience point of view, quite highly regarded. It's enjoying a little bit of a return, isn't it? As yeah. a result, I've heard mm. a, yeah a few things about people revisiting it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and so in that sense, I feel like maybe you can give Equalizer three a free pass for for indulging in some of those more like genre cliches because mm. it. But like maybe I was like you were saying, like I I might have been wrong to assume that this was going to be more complex than it was, and the inclusion of Dakota Fanning as a uh, an aviator wearing CIA operative might you know might have been a bit of a a, fen- a fence post or a fence post. Like a, a signpost um, <laughs> to uh, t- towards you know uh, this this is kind of a cliched movie. It's meant to be a fun film with like almost sort of cameo levels of you know, hark backs to Man on Fire that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I don't think it probably benefits the plot too much, but I guess it, yeah, it's quite nice. But yeah, it doesn't really benefit the no. plot. Really, does it? No, 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 they did. They did a lot of. Uh, before the strike, they did a bit of press together, so it's clear that the studio wanted them two to be to uh, yeah, a marketing it, yeah. thing. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a nice, you know, it is a nice reunion. Obviously, like them working together when she was what, like five? Yeah, she was young. Um, just, yeah, and now she's like, yeah, like in her late twenties. Like, yeah, there is there is a nice moment in that, but 
yeah, it it probably is to the detriment of the film, sadly. I do think there is something fundamentally wrong with the idea of Basie just being like, oh, get her in because it will remind people of that film. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, mm. you know, cheap, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a bit cheap, especially for a film like this to do that. Yeah. I mean, mm, yeah. Do it if it works. Don't shoehorn it in sort of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Shoehorn in a hurricane. I was up for that. It started yeah. raining at one point. I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah, it's yeah. I thought it was going to the weather finale. set piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It was just uh, inside, indoors, and there was a b- bunch of statues around. And, yeah. Oh. I quite <laughs> liked that. It was sort of quite sort of impressionistic violence sequences, I which I quite so. liked. But mm-hmm. I thought, I think if you sort of frame it against the other big hitter sort of action films, we talk about it's quite a lot about action films of a renaissance in the sort of idea about the spectacle of action cinema you yeah, know, the relationship yeah. between the sort of camera and the and the performers mm. um, really coming to the forefront of the mainstream audience's minds if you think about like the raid probably kicking that off for western audiences yeah John Wick obviously. and then John Wick harp taking yeah. from that mm. um, so I think there's quite a lot of pressure on modern action films to sort of like do that mm. um, and there's none of that here really it does feel very much again sort of canon-esque in its presentation of the action I mean, yeah. it's not bad it's not like overtly no. bad but, not not a hurricane, mate. But yeah, like the yeah, set piece, the, you know, both <laughs> Equalizer one and two had like yeah. a great moment in terms of action. Like one was the sort of bizarre location, yeah, in, in the in the um, hardware store, the hardware right? store. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the second was obviously your favourite scene in the yeah, sort of yeah. the storm, <laughs> the storm, um, the sort of like evacuated town before a storm or during a storm. Yeah, right? that's right. And that yeah. wasn't really present here, and it no. gives it a sort of a bit of a whimper whimpery sort of end feel mm. to it I don't know what do you think yeah I, I've, I've got to be honest obviously I said at the beginning that like I kind of preferred this one to like the second one and maybe in terms of enjoyment I still do but I think that's maybe the kind of a, you know the Italiophile kind of uh, like you yeah. know tinting my kind of view but I think maybe it isn't as good a movie and like yeah there there is obviously a lot I'd say a lot more issues with this one than uh, with the others. I'd say it's still an enjoyable film. I agree. I like um, I, I like the stuff that you you know I like the sort of bizarre mix. You know the way that it sort of hack hack handedly sort of thrusts Denzel Washington into, into this community. It's quite sweet. Yeah, yeah. I, I do like yeah. that aspect. of So it. I think you're right to still like like that element of it. Yeah, for sure. yeah. And there was and there was quite an interesting dynamic in this one though, which is quite different to the the first two in a way where it's um in the first two he's he's kind of mentoring kind of two people like in the first one it's the kind of it's the guy who works at the home depot who wants to be security guards and in the second one it's the kind of young kid who's in the kind of neighborhood Mm. whereas this time actually he's the one who's actually being mentored by the old italian doctor (laughs) there is actually a little bit of a kind of like and you know and maybe that's why they're kind of saying it's yet like maybe i mean you know hopefully he cuts out all the killing and all that um but like (laughs) maybe that's uh you know like where he's actually evolving, where he's actually opening himself up to being taught by others. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, like the yeah, the old Italian doctor who's kind of looking after him, kind of making him feel better and giving him you know you know knowledge about the area and like you know, and T- even telling him to stop like oh don't walk on that yet like it, it's gonna go gangrenous yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And even he's like the one. He's the other guy who comes out with a gun when uh, 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So like in a way, moment. he's almost you know, yeah, he he's got guardian somebody, angel sort of thing. Yeah, he's yeah. got it this time. So maybe, you know, there's there's there is something interesting in there. But yes, I think again, it wasn't. I think Nick maybe could have been a bit more with it. But yeah, yeah, I think that's a few more certainly scenes. something mm. a bit kind of more interesting about it than uh, yeah, the other well, two. I, I agree like a with little that. contrast there. Yeah, I agree. It could have had a few more scenes of him having like Lemoncello with him or something. Yeah, yeah. that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, I just like, you know, just more shots of Italian countryside and people having a good time with good drinks and food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I like the fact that... It's like a travel show with Denzel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is I, interesting, yeah. I um I, I was looking at that at uh, the shots and and obviously I know they're gonna like they're gonna sort of like focus on the stereotypical stuff or the stuff you would assume from Italians, yeah. Um, but it does make me think. I think we've talked about this before in the context of French people, like in the way they they seem more cultural than English. Yeah, people. yeah. Like it just makes us England just look like such a fucking shithole, doesn't oh, it? Oh, mate. Yeah. Like I was just thinking the whole way through, like the way they all get together and have food together, like no, for us, it's just like. Yeah chips in a rain-soaked alleyway after like nine carlings you know what I mean Slightly, chips in yeah. a scowl at your neighbour yeah <laughs> you wouldn't yeah. see yeah. as you're pissing <laughs> on his fence yeah what are you looking at <laughs> yeah. yeah you wouldn't see him going into Aldi to try and find fish would you no like, it wouldn't be biting yeah no yeah. Yeah. yeah there is a weird moment where uh, she says to him oh they're starting to accept you now I'm like they're not from the fucking jungle. <laughs> they're Italians, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. They're not like an uncontacted tribe. I, yeah, just, yeah. I don't know. There's something weird about that line as well. I'd start to mention that off the cuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. Even, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he gets to dance at the end. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's Italian now. That's he it. is. That's it. There we go. The end. The end of the film and this segment. Yes. And the podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Questing the cinematic void. Good. There yes. we have it then. There we have I it. I really enjoyed that one. It was nice to sort of talk about him. It's something that I'm sort of one of the good things about the Equalizer coming out is being able to talk about Denzel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I I feel like I could do like a six hour kind of discussion on him as you could probably tell from the episode um, <laughs> yeah. you know deep dive into like every film and uh... ever yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd love yeah, that yeah um, one quick aside if you did hear traffic noise do apologise it's so fucking hot yeah. in, in the house at the moment and, in, and indeed all of England <laughs> that we had to have the, the patio door open which may mean you might hear the sounds of the M25 <laughs> um, M32 but that's fine is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Shit. <laughs> M25 is the London one. London one, one. yeah. All right. Sorry, I don't know so why. I was just trying to convince people I lived in the big city, man. Right. I just don't want to get emails about angry Londoners being like, you're just the M32. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, fair enough. Well, well, to be fair, you get them all the time anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah. Like, what, what's the difference? Yeah, that's true. true. Yeah, yeah. Please listen to Ben's motorway podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is also six hours long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> per episode. <laughs> Recorded exclusively on the motorway sorry mate I don't know why I'm, no, I'm it's fine don't worry <laughs> um, yeah. great to have you back Lee yeah thank you it's been a pleasure thank you for having me on yeah yeah real blast you know, I'll having... always uh, you know storm on in whenever you need me oh we'll have you back on very yeah. shortly I'm sure absolutely yeah uh, next week yes anime episode correct that is definitely happening next week lovely yeah. so the lovely old Jordana is coming in for that one mm. and uh, yeah we're going to talk about 
anime films, not really TV shows, because you know this isn't this TV is a TV show to you know no, TV yeah. boys to TV men. You know? Yeah, <laughs> we're aware of anime's presence in television, but I feel like to get into it would just be exhausting for me because I've not seen any. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you guys are aware of television as well. So. We do know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, we, we we're familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't mention idea. the Fargo TV show for a reason. <laughs> We'll talk about the movie. <laughs> so yeah, that'll be a, a nice discussion about the, the sort of, I guess, the medium of anime uh, and a few choice examples provided by Jordana and some broader yeah. ones that we've chosen as well. So yeah. really looking forward to that one. But in the meantime, enjoy this episode and we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.